Okay, this is an audio version exclusive, as in you will not hear this on the video side of this. So if you're one of the, the people that, that listens to the show only, Steven Dangle. Who was one of your okay, yeah. favorite rappers okay, yeah. growing up? Um, who does that song? Oh, who did that? I don't, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't remember the name. Juvenile is who did oh, that. Right, right. And Juvenile did a song called Back That Ass Up. Now, yes, he did. Jesse, <laughs> he's got another song out now, and it's uh-huh. that song, but what it's, what's it called now? Uh, Get Vaxxed Up or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so have a listen. Vax that thing up. There it is. is. The exact same. Okay, go ahead, Jesse. Tight chain, nice chain, got your bio reading, right chain. Precise what are you recording? Chain, but before you find a day chain, you gotta wait chain. Gotta go back to nature chain, get it straight chain. Girl, you look good, want you vax that thing up. Use a handsome young brother, want you vax that thing up. They in real life, you need to vax that thing up. Feeling freaky all night, you need to vax that thing up. Girl, you look good, want you vax that thing up. Use a handsome young brother, want you vax that thing up. They in real life, you need to vax that thing up. Feeling freaky all night, you need to vax that we need I want to go back to the clinic and get the vaccines taken out of my body after listening <laughs> to that. <laughs> I, wow. Wow. Well, wow. In case you were wondering what uh, what Juvenile was up to, that's what Juvenile has been up to. It took him 20 years to get that out. I always wondered when I was younger, I was like, I like these guys now, but how are they going to age? And the answer pretty much across the board is oddly (laughs) yeah you don't want to say not well do you i don't want to say not well necessarily but like i don't know like t-pain is very fun now Mm -hmm. but like yeah old 50 cent is bizarre oh yeah i think i think there's a lot of rappers who've done well in the second part of their careers like Ludacris, especially like he's just turned into an a-list actor who's been in the biggest movies of the last like 10 years that dude furious. he he there were a few rappers who were guilty of making an amazing first album and then being garbage and Ludacris never betrayed us (laughs) he was great and then one day he decided no more no more ludicrous. I am now ludicrous, the fast and furious actor. Yeah. And like from that era, then we got Ja Rule, who was I- insane with all yeah. of his, his investments. Dude. Yeah. Um, and then 50 Cent, you mentioned he's, he's turned into a legitimate uh, television producer. That's his second life. He's, he's produced some great uh, dramas. Did he That's not do third life? Did his he not do Empire? Yeah, vitamin did. water and fighting with Floyd Mayweather. That, yeah. That's very true as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's been a great investor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, you heard him talk about vitamin water, though. No. They're like, I guess somebody came up to him and was like, well, like, you know, 50, you got it. When you're thinking about, uh, you know, investing, you got to think about what people need. And he's like, well, everybody needs water. And that's where the whole idea started. <laughs> and like, then Coca-Cola came to him and was like, here's a billion dollars. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> he's brilliant. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. Just brilliant. And it like, it's just, and vitamin water is literally just like, it's, it's, I know apparently they've done studies on it and you can't really absorb the vitamins that are in it because they're all hard vitamins. So it's just, and it's in water. So it's getting (laughs) diluted anyway. So it's like that bug from, from men in black one. It's like sugar water. Like, you know what I mean? That's literally what it is. Water. (laughs) Anyway. So that's a good time. Congratulations on being one of the few who hear this on the audio version only. Let's get to the full show. Fantastic.
I know the Stanley Cup final should be the lead story, but they're not going to be the lead story today, guys. No, Why not? The lead story today, the most important story in hockey, is Duncan Keith going to be an Edmonton Oiler. That is the that is the, the key. And we've had a uh, friend of the show, Mark Spector, now weigh in on it with his article. And I just I wanted to quickly just update you on where we're at with this, because I think watching Oilers fans lose their minds over this. It's, Oilers it's, fans, it's, Adam? I <laughs> I'm I'm losing my mind. I'm loving this. Plural. Archaeologi is <laughs> if if you are not following him, it's awesome. It's hilarious because he's trying to tweet this into not happening. And I got news for you. It's That's happening. That's not how it works. Yeah. Get your Duncan Keith jersey now. Because it's happening. It's so, happening. So uh Mark Spector, and this is just the Sportsnet tweet, which Mark does not write, by the way, but introducing his article. A trade for Duncan Keith, should the Oilers choose to make it, would be a gamble. But it would also be about more than statistics. What about the intangibles? Helping all the things that analytics can't track. Now, this is what I have argued, right? This is why I think it could potentially work. But it doesn't carry the same weight because this has been the argument for almost every Edmonton Oilers transaction since about 2005. Like this team, every trade is well, don't know how good at hockey they are, but they care. Yeah, well, it, I, I think about the Andrew Ference signing. Remember, he had like it was like, wow, that's a lot of money for Andrew Ference, but he works out a lot. He works out a lot. Works out a lot. He's got a kick-ass vine. <laughs> Does he? Is that what he had? He was the king of NHL vine. Really? Andrew Ferentz? Yes. Andrew Ferentz had a wonderful vine, new editing and everything. Like, he made a few where I was like, this is legitimately impressive, Andrew Ferentz. That's wonderful. I have a question about that. Duncan Keith. <laughs> okay, so what? Hit me. What's a trade that Edmonton makes for Keith? And you're like, oh, okay. That that works. I don't hate this. It's good that they have them on the, on their blue line now. What Future is that considerations in like? a third team? Ryan Nugent Hopkins, <laughs> Darnell Nurse, <laughs> Miko Koskinen, half retained. Wow. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just I just I just want to see all the blood vessels pop out in in uh, in Alberta. I honestly, man, because there's a the path problem. to a reasonable trade here. Where you there don't give up a is. whole bunch and you get Duncan Keith. There always is. Would you acquire David Clarkson? No. Okay, well, what if it's Nathan Horton? Oh, okay. Like, there's always a path forward. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. Um, the problem with not trading a roster player is the cap. So, the logical solution is what? One of James Neal... Or Miko Koskinen has to be involved in the deal. Probably James Neal. Let's be honest. Koskinen can at least give you some NHL service at this point in his career. I know. I know. I see the face you're giving me. I see the face. I didn't say it's a great deal. I didn't say he'd be a great goalie for you. But there's there's glimmers. There's little glimmers. 
James Neal, the further he got into his career, it's like, all right, we will just make him a goal suck. We'll shove him right in the blue paint and he'll do it. And he did it well for like two months. And then it's, it's just gone. It's gone. So if it, is it, you know, maybe you think you're going to lose Caleb Jones anyway. So it's like James Neal, Caleb Jones. Why are you going to lose Caleb Jones anyway? Expansion draft. Expansion draft. I don't know. That's without looking at Edmonton's roster. I don't actually know. Can't they trade Caleb Jones for something more valuable? Well, Adam, yes. (laughs) So listen, you're asking me to make a trade that I would never make. Mm. <laughs> so right. I'm struggling. Right. I'm really struggling with it, man. Let um, me read this this uh-huh. justification because that's what it is. And and I again I say this lovingly with Mark Spector in mind because he's a lot of fun whenever he comes on. But this particular paragraph got me, and I want to know what you guys think. The difference is for Keith, his minutes and on ice responsibilities would decrease in Edmonton, an important Correct. distinction. Correct. And the areas that improve with age, leadership, teaching ability, helping younger players would be a great part of his game. Correct. So here's the question for me, from me. Um, those three intangibles, leadership, teaching ability, helping younger players. Sounds like an assistant coach, doesn't it? You need it on the roster too. You need it on the roster. I mean, the Leafs have that with Jason Spezza and and with Wayne Simmons. And, and they did it and it cost them a first round pick for Patrick Marlowe. Yeah. It, well, the whole point they, is to not have that happen, but yes, it did. Then there was that. Um, no, I'm still, I'm still not off the, based on the justification, I'm not off the Duncan Keith wagon yet. You're going to have to throw me off somehow. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to throw me off. Keep going and do your worst. Okay. So then you're still on. And it the- also holds all of the power here because they don't have to acquire Duncan Keith in Chicago. It sounds like has to trade him there. So if you have all of the power, you can probably find a way to get him and just have Duncan Keith on your roster without giving up very much. Okay, so then, so let me ask you this. Okay. Spec in this article is saying on a second pairing with Adam Larson, we would like, we would like Keith's analytics much, much more than the ones he posted playing uh, with Ian Mitchell, Adam Borquist, Connor Murphy this past season. Uh, I'm, right. I'm not. Somebody I'm also not Adam Larson, who's not on the roster. He's right, because he, he's a UFA, but they're saying maybe he, they'll wait till after July 26th. Yeah, so we'll see if he actually is on the Oilers. So, but, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, sure, okay, he can still skate, I guess. He could still make a play. But in every appreciable statistic, we're talking about, um, like, ones that really, like, we're talking about advanced stats and we're talking about just stats, which should be one and the same, but they're not. <laughs> He has been on the decline for five straight years. Stephen Birch brought this up on Twitter today. Five straight years. What is it about Edmonton that we've seen so far? And this is where my question comes in, where players that have been on the decline for five years turn back the clock and are 35 again, 34 again, 33 again, 32 again. This guy has incrementally gotten worse. This is what happens. Time is undefeated. For the last five years. And Chicago is now not a good team anymore. Retooling, rebuilding, whatever you want to call them. That's fine. Then you bring them to the Oilers, who are sans their top two players. Not a very good team at all. 
So you're literally trading one bad team for another. The only difference with this team is it has two monsters up front. And you're adding a piece who, uh, how many wins above replacement would, would Duncan Keith really bring? I, they're, they're, they're hoping for magic beans, these guys. And that's been the game plan for years is magic beans. The only reason they've gotten anywhere is the payoff of those magic beans. Leon Dreisaitl was magic beans. It's the third overall pick is magic beans. Connor McDavid, the first overall pick. It's a lottery. It's literally, it's spinning beans in a, in a, in a spinny thing. And out comes the first overall pick magic beans. Is this guy good anymore? No, but what about magic beans? Everything about the, the, their strategy is magic beans. And they tried something that wasn't magic beans. They said, you know what? We're going to trade away some magic beans for Andreas Athanasiu. And they saw nine games of not magic beans. And they said, we should have stuck with the beans. (laughs) Beans forever. And Ken Holland gets on the microphone at the trade deadline. And he's like, well, you know what? We don't want to lose any more beans. We gave up too many beans last year. (laughs) And competing for the Stanley Cup involves trading away too many beans. (laughs) The Oilers are just beans. Oh, that's rich coming from a Leaf fan. I know a shitty team when I see one. Don't I? No one can objectively argue with you that the Oilers are a good team without Drysaddle and McDavid. I I just need John Mulaney to rush in the room real quick. Guys, 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 you're both terrible hockey teams. (laughs) Dude, it's it's all about magic beans with these guys. Um, Now, Edmonton, though, at very least, has an identity. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's an identity. But it's a, it's a thing. It's two guys. They get offense, right? They mm-hmm. like to think they can score goals. Mm-hmm. They can score goals. They play a young juniorish style and sometimes have to rely on goaltending. What are the Chicago Blackhawks? What in the world are they besides under investigation? What? Are, what is the team? They're Seriously, a mess. What is the team? Because I'm looking at them right now. Their highest paid defenseman, should they trade Duncan Keith, is Calvin DeHaan. Hey, Adam, high five. Miss him. Wanted him. You know what? I like Calvin DeHaan, the guy. I really do. Uh, and I haven't seen a ton of them because the Blackhawks have not really been worth watching for a long time. Connor Murphy's number two. Riley Stillman's in there. Ian Mitchell. Wyatt uh, Kalanuck. And uh, listen, it's it's bleak. Real who's who there. Right. Who's who? Now, Do you want to know how they fared last season defensively? And yes. why by oh. default, Keith is going to enter a new team and be his numbers are going to improve just by default. Because last season, the Hawks ranked 23rd in rush chances against, 29th in goals against, and Chicago finished the season with an expected goals against average of 3.04. And that's only behind the Sabres and Canucks, who were worse. So they were last in most defensive metrics. That's according to Sport Logic. Now, the Oilers, I would actually, I, I like the Oilers defense in comparison, right? Like there's some mm-hmm. upside there. They're not terrible. 
They're not terrible, and the ones that struggle on occasion are young. That's not a terrible place to be. That's okay. That's okay. You can be bad if you're young. Bad and old, you don't want. You don't want bad and old. There's nowhere to go from there. There's nowhere to go from there except worse. And some are arguing that's Duncan Keith. Uh, Jesse, you asked mm-hmm. a question. How the hell do you get this deal done? Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about double retention, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's something there. Yeah, it sounds kind of hot. It does sound kind of hot. <laughs> like a double retention. <laughs> I, I, well, now I don't like it anymore. Um, I'm going to throw out, I'm going to throw out two names. I'm going to throw out two names. Brent Seabrook and Andrew Shaw. Those are two players who are not going to play again. Mm-hmm. They're just cap hits, right? The cap hits. So what did the Leafs do with the deadline so that they could go over the cap a little bit? They acquired Riley Nash. Kept him on LTIR, right? What did the Tampa Bay Lightning do? Had Nikita Kucherov. They they had Nikita Kucherov, but they didn't stop there. Because without uh, even with Kucherov, they were still wildly over the cap. They acquired Marion Gabarik. Oh, right. Who is never going to play a game for them. Does he get a ring? He deserves one. He deserves, <laughs> If they win, he deserves one. Gosh darn it. Give him another. So if you acquire Brent Seabrook, that might be too rich. That might be too rich. He's owed $6 million next season, then five, then 4.5. That's a lot of, that's a lot of money, but it's a $6.875 million cap hit. And he's got a no move clause, which I don't know why he would refuse. He's probably not even going to be asked to report maybe for a physical every year. There is a guy though, who's got one year left, $3.9 million cap hit. If the Oilers, um, if the Oilers pay his signing bonus, there's another million dollars off and you'll only have another 1.9 to pay. Andrew Shaw, Andrew Shaw. So you give me, let's say you half retain on Duncan Keith or you retain X percentage and you give me Andrew Shaw, who I can then put on LTIR and I can, you know, then they spend would spend X amount of money. They would have to have enough to push them over the limit. Cause right. You can only use LTIR once you're over the amount of the cap. They and won't have trouble getting there. You don't. Th- okay. Okay. No one will. No one will. Um, as, as long as they have enough contracts on the books, then yeah, that, that would make sense. You can find a way to spend money. <laughs> you can find a way to spend money. You can, you can, you know, there have been contracts in the past where players have been grossly overpaid uh, because teams wanted to accomplish one thing or another, right, with the salary cap. So we got to get creative here. There's me getting creative, trying to make it make sense for the Edmonton Oilers. Now, now, do you want to get creative, though, or do you re- want to rely on magic beans? <laughs> Let it ride with the beans. Let's hey, Duncan Keith could be anything. He could even be magic beans. He could even be Duncan Keith. He could even he, be Duncan Keith from two years ago, which still wasn't adequate. Still yeah. doesn't improve them. I People, the, the the thing that gets me here is that you were getting creative and bringing in Andrew Shaw to accommodate Duncan Keith. We're not talking about Jack Eichel. We're talking about Duncan Keith. 
Could, yes, three-time Stanley Cup winner. Yes, won the Conn Smith Trophy. Yeah, he's probably got like a billion Norrises. I don't even know if he has or not. I don't, I don't really keep track. I don't know. But the point is, when you get creative with a player or a contract, you get creative with the player or a contract because they're Jack Eichel. Because they're Alex Petrangelo. It all comes because back they're the to bell wire. of the ball, Steve. Yes. Not because they're a guy who was good half a decade ago. It, Adam, Adam's, it all comes back to why do you need to do this? Let Chicago sit in their shit for a little longer. Everybody helped them for years. And somebody's going to help Tampa Bay this year. You know, he's got two Norrises, by the way. Okay, there you go. 2010, 2014. And a Smythe. And a Conn Smythe 2015. I really, I do got to say, like that 2015 Conn Smythe is one of the more impressive Conn Smythes mm-hmm. over the last long time. <laughs> like you talk about a one man army. Well, yeah, it was him <laughs> basically playing all of his minutes and Kimo Timonen's minutes. Oh, yeah. He's was like him, 45 Brent minutes a game. Kimo Timonen's like, I dress, then like, good, stay there. Don't For a anything. big chunk of the playoffs, it was they played two pairs and then one of Oduya and Halmerson got hurt. I can't remember which one. Yep. And so they like <laughs> that was the whole conversation I remember heading into the final. It's well Tampa's got this new young scoring depth and Chicago's got three defensemen. <laughs> and they won. And they won. Anyway, yeah, I I I'm I need this trade to happen now cuz we've talked about it too much for it not to. <laughs> and I don't you it's, just want to see I do want listen, I want to see how it gets done. Uh, and I do want to see Oilers Nation erupt. I, I do want to see that. Not because I want that for Oilers fans, but because they are quite funny about it when they do. They I have would a, love, it's a very sick sense of humor Oilers fans have. I would love to praise Ken Holland at the end of it. Hey, what a creative way. What a creative forward-thinking way of doing things. Jesse? Yes. What do you think the chances are that Steve is praising Ken Holland at the end of this? I think there is a situation where this deal, uh, either it doesn't happen because there's too much around it, mm-hmm. and then we praise Ken Holland for not doing it because oh. it was too much of a media storm. So I will praise him for that. There is an avenue where Steve's, Steve is praising him. And the other one would be that uh, Chicago hands Edmonton Duncan Keith because uh, they want to just send him there so badly. And <laughs> then <laughs> we would praise Ken Holland. But those are the only two scenarios. Other than that, every other avenue is just just chaos. So I don't know. Also, Duncan Keith averaged 31 minutes uh, during his Conn Smythe uh, uh, playoff run. 31 minutes believe. per game, 21 points in 23 games. Unbelievable. Do you have the other uh, defenseman up? Uh, I can pull it up if you give me a moment. Yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, and like, that's with overtime and everything. Basically, every overtime game, I was like, well, surely the Blackhawks are losing. You can't do this. There's no way you can do this all the way to a cup. And they did it. It was truly, truly wild the way they did it. Here's me dancing. <laughs> I'm looking for Jesse to look it up. Yeah. Uh, time on ice. Uh, time on ice per 60 minutes. Duncan Keith at 31. Uh, 31. Next up was 26 for Seabrook. Yalmerson mm-hmm. uh, had 26. Johnny Oduya had 24. Taves, 20. Kane, 20. Oh, Saad, so now- 20. When yeah. do we get into another defenseman? Never. You're not. <laughs> Let's move on then to... Guys, don't you ever call it Tampa Bay again. It's either Tampa St. Pete's or it's Tampa. 
the mayor of Tampa was hoping that the Lightning would lose on Monday night. And boy, did she get her wish. What was that? What was the first part of the reference to? Well, we got a bunch of people saying it's not the mayor of Tampa Bay. It's the mayor of Tampa, city of Tampa. And then the if, the whole, if you look at the whole thing, it's Tampa, St. Petersburg, right? It's Tampa, St. Pete's. So anyway. Well, so Tampa Bay is playing Montreal tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that the name of the team? I know. I know. But like with Vegas, we have lost the loss. So it's just the Vegas Golden Knights. So the Las Vegas Golden Knights um, should be playing the Tampa Bay Lightning right now, but they're not because they lost to the Montreal Canadiens. That's right. There. That's a sentence. That's there, there it is. Um, Canadians pull it out in overtime. I honestly, like, I, I, uh, I have to say, like, in every appreciable category, Tampa won this game, except for the score, which is the one that matters. Outshot. Canadians were outshot, outhit, sloppy with the puck. So 18 giveaways throughout the game. But two things I think went right. First off, you have the post. Three different times. Nikita Kucherov hitting a post with three minutes left to win the Stanley Cup. That's the yeah. cup. That's, that's the cup. cup. That's, that's the cup. literally why you're still in this series. And number two, <laughs> the the invisible man, except for when he's not, Josh Anderson. Yeah. When Josh Anderson is on, he is unstoppable. That's one in every four games. Do yeah. we owe Mr. Jeff uh, an apology? Who's Mr. Jeff? Jeff Ducharme. Do we oh. owe him an no. apology? Because the new line that Anderson he didn't play well, the, the new lines, well. He, the new lines he put together played well. You know, it's Caulfield had a really hard time getting into the series. Yes, he did. And game four was by far his loudest, mm-hmm. and that line was gone. Mm-hmm. Nick Suzuki was a threat, and Josh Anderson looked like Josh Anderson. That's not a depth player, man. It's not a depth player, and that's how he's been used a lot of the time. And it's difficult for him to get on the board playing those depth minutes. I think um, it's one thing if he's on like a battering ram line, like uh, what, what, what was it? It was him. Was it him stall and Perry? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't get that. I, I didn't understand that line. Yeah. It, but no, I think he needs to be, that's a great fit for him. It's a great fit for him. Uh, make a little room. He's got to be noticeable. His, you can see exactly why he got the contract. He did. He's tantalizing. Like as if you're an NHL GM, you see, you know, however many shifts a game, it's a low percentage, but you see what he's capable of in a single shift. Oh my God. He's amazing. How do you not whip your entire wallet at that man's forehead? But we just haven't seen it enough. Here's, here's where, here's Montreal's problem. Anderson's averaged one of those games a series. And he's had one. What did I tell you? It's like one in every four games. He's, he's like, like that. He, he needs, and guess what? We need four straight. We need four straight. It's going to be hard, but it's doable. Now we, we have, only need three straight. Do we have the lines? Because uh, Anderson, Suzuki, Caulfield, is, that was what worked. That was buzzing. And it's staying even, together. And r- even Romanoff, he scored last night, right? You put him in the lineup, you get a goal out of a guy you just insert there. That's great. Uh, I still don't agree with taking out uh, Kotkiniemi because he's literally your leading goal scorer at even you, strength. You, I watched but. Eric Stahl because of what Steve said on the last podcast, Jesse. Yeah. And I was like, he's right. Not that I did, doubted you, but it was like, he. what does he do? What exactly do you do here besides win a few face-offs? It was the so, veteran thing, and I think that's a shame. You know, you our, take out the young kid and you leave in the veteran because you don't want to, because you want the veteran in the lineup and, at the end of the season. And on that line, hang on one sec, Steve. On that line, Alex Romanoff plays his third game, scores a goal. 
his right? uh, like you, professional you, goal in 151 games between the KHL and the NHL. <laughs> but no, Gustafson. Gustafson every time. Yeah, well, he made the right change. He made, here, so here's the lines from Arpin Basu. It sounds like there's no changes. Uh, to Foley, Dino Gallagher. Mm-hmm. I like it. Anderson, Suzuki, Caulfield. I like it. Mm-hmm. Byron Evans, Lekkanen. That is a fast, annoying, perfectly built third line. I like it. Armia, Stahl, Perry. You're so close. You got one. You're so close. <laughs> Um, I'd like Kakaniemi in there in place of Stall. You have Sherat Weber, Edmondson Petrie, and Romanov Kulak. Kulak, by the way, uh, figured it out. Mm-hmm. And real quick, the extra line is Tatar, Kakaniemi, Frolik, which may honestly be better than their fourth line with the exception of Frolik. That's a better uh, line than some NHL's like third lines. Like, why not Tatar, Kakaniemi, Armia? Kakaniemi, uh, Tatar, Perry. Anyway, uh, Kulak figured it out. Tampa was unreal. They're so good at defending the offensive blue line. How's Montreal supposed to get anything accomplished they can't get out of their own zone? They're so annoying. And Kulak took a split second to be like, okay, they're picking off every pass. What if I just don't do that? And he took it for a little bit of a skate. And they get it deep, and it doesn't work the first time, but then they get it back in, and that led to the first goal. That Suzuki amazing pass to Anderson. Which was the second shot of the game for Montreal. Second shot and fourth shot attempt. Yeah. The, the Tampa Bay started off the game 8-0 in shots. like they just, And then it was 10-1 before uh, Montreal got their second shot on goal. Montreal charges out of the blue line, neutral zone takeaway, back in uh, their zone. Montreal charges out the blue line, neutral zone takeaway, back into their zone. That was, it was, Tampa yeah. was just flying, flying most, in that first 20 minutes. Most underrated defensive team in the league. Oh, yeah. Because it's the third thing you talk about when it comes to them. You know, it's, they're, they're unreal. They're unreal. I, what do you? What did you think of John Cooper's comments? Like, what should we have done differently? Hit fewer posts, I guess. I think he's right. Yeah. What do you fix about that team? It was like, great. You go in, you go. That's hockey, guys. Uh, let's get ready for Game Five in front of eighteen thousand of our own fans screaming our names. I tell you what, Montreal won despite themselves. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Josh Anderson was very, very good. Very, very good. But. Again, you can't count on Josh Anderson to be very, very good every game. You can't even count on Josh Anderson to be good every other game. So, and that's the, that's the truth. This is a guy a who's making one. over $5 million and scored less points than Spezza this year. But like, like we don't, come on. It's out of respect because you know what him in top form looks like. You, you expect, you want that. He's paid yes. like he plays that like that every game, right? And, yes. it, and it, listen, for everyone, all the Montreal fans are going to say, oh, Mitch Marner, Matthew, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, man. Agree. Completely agree. I, I, oh, I, oh, yeah. Everyone's given them such an easy time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, they've had it. It's been like, great for them. It's been super oh, yeah. great for them. And we, we haven't, haven't had told to delete them. anything. Shh, don't tell them. We don't want to hurt their feelings. Like, like ridiculous. Ridiculous. Stop making it about that. The reality is Josh Anderson needs to be like that every game. Yes. Yes, he mm-hmm. does. Now, I tell you what, though. Can I be a silly goose for a moment? Sure, please. Tampa loses this game. They are deep shit. They lose this game. They are in such deep shit. Right. It's it's the Montreal Canadiens. A lot of rules don't seem to apply to them. 
They're the most history rich team. They have such a unique fan base that talks about them with this, with this reverence, the, the, the way, like a, the way a chef talks about food. You, you, you ever, you ever watch one of those shows you hear a chef talk about food and it's like, they're in love with it. Yep. They're in the, they're in this. Oh my goodness. Um, the way That's, Guy Fieri talks about burgers. It's oh. cheese, meat, and, and bacon, and some tomatoes. And every time he's got something else to say about it. Just, oh, they come up with different adjectives and everything. And that's that's the magic around this team. And they win game four at home in overtime. Oh, and all of a sudden they're coming to your building. If you can't close it out there, that's a problem. I do have a stat. From Sportsnet stats, I loved this stat. I don't know. If, I don't know if I. I don't know if I trust it. Give it. Let's hear Should. it. Stats. Sorry, hear sorry. It. Roger Sportsnet stats. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Montreal is the 28th team to ever be down three nothing in a Stanley Cup final. So before the before them, there were 27. Mm-hmm. 20 of those 27 teams got swept. What happened to the other seven? Mm-hmm. Four of them lost in five. That can still happen. One team has ever lost in six. It was the 2012 Devils. Who looked like they might actually come back against the Kings, by the way, until Steve Bernier took a very silly goose five-minute major early in game six, and then they got run over. 1945 Red Wings. They forced seven. Loose. 1942 Leafs. The only team still in NHL history to be down three nothing in a Stanley Cup final and win it, and there's something about the parade of Leafs humiliations that makes me be like, oh God, the Habs are about to take away the only thing Leaf fans have to cling on to. <laughs> They're about to take it away from us. They're about to take it away. But that doesn't change the fact that the Habs need to become the first team since two, since since the Second World War to erase a 3 nothing deficit in the Stanley Cup final. No Steve, time. yesterday around uh, 5.50 p.m. Eastern time, I turned on the television. Well, I turned it on before that. But around that time, I was watching uh, Tim McAuliffe, Steve Dangle, Julian McKenzie, and Nick Alberga uh, talk about this stat here. And I, and I saw Steve have that same reaction on national television. And it hurt a little because I said internally, Steve, your brain is broken. That's, that's not going to happen. The Canadians aren't coming back. That's a ridiculous way to think that this has anything to do with the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, I, and I'm so sorry for your, your broken Leafs brain. But you have to lose, to, even, if, even if Tampa loses tonight, uh, before this series, I believe you and I both predicted Tampa in six. And in order to win in six, you have to lose two games. So why don't we not overreact to them losing two games? Because before the series, you predicted that they would lose two games. So And they haven't even done that yet. So I think they'll probably win tonight. And if they lose tonight, don't overreact. I'm just, I just imagine the tease heading into game seven. Like it's gonna first game of all, it's gonna seven. start with the mayor. It's gonna start with the mayor. Win game five first. And it no, it's gonna start with the mayor. And she wanted a, a chance for them to win it at home. And now they can lose it. <laughs> it's just it's such a good 
there's just sound bites, man. There's sound bites. The Raptors were down two nothing, getting their asses kicked by the Milwaukee Bucks, and then Kawhi goes going back to Toronto for Game Three. And in that moment, I was just like, oh, they're about to win the championship. Like I was, oh, that, or at very least, I thought they were about to beat the Bucks. Like there was something about that moment where I was just like, oh, everything's going to be fine. They're going to be fine. What, what do you, you think the series they, is over? What are you going to say when they lose tonight? It's going to be hilarious because if you listen to the show, like what, a couple hours after it comes out, they might have, like, you might be watching this, the Tampa Bay Lightning, Tampa mm-hmm. Bay Lightning. You <laughs> might be watching them skate around the ice with the cup right now. Yeah. I, uh, I got a question um, just on, on a different subject for a moment, other than superstition oh. and the leaf sucking. Um, <laughs> oh, something reasonable? Adam? Yeah, here's a reasonable question. <laughs> Can Steven Stamkos play hockey anymore, or is he just there for the power play? Whoa! What? Do you see Steven Stamkos much other than the power play? Is my question. He okay? Is he hurt? Like I'm not. I'm not asking in a I mean, in yes. a way that's like fuck Steven Stamkos. I'm serious. Like, is he? <laughs> is that why they have him out? He must be hurt. He's. I don't know if this is a weird way of putting it. I mean, he still obviously got it and is shot as a weapon, but like he almost doesn't like fit the lightning. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. He doesn't and that's, play like that's them. why I wanted to, that's why I wanted to talk about it because what I think is interesting, they have to make a move this off season, right? Oh, stop it. Stop it. No way. When I saw him play, my question is for the $9 million he takes up, uh-huh. are the lightning five on five that, hurt by Stamkos not being there. I said lightning five on five. He I played 38 say, games this year. I haven't like been on the lookout for bad Steven Stamkos play, so I haven't really noticed it. No, I but. want you to be on the lookout for any Steven Stamkos play. So here's where Just Adam... Any. I You know, I love me some Stammer, but here's where Adam has a bit of a point, first of all. <laughs> this dude has 18 points <laughs> in 22 games. That's so funny. I know. He's almost point a game. I know. He's but where how many of those are not on the power play? I am often surprised by how often I'm watching the game and I go, oh, Steven Stamkos. You know what I mean? I like far more often. Yanni Gord is impossible to not n- notice. Every year I just write a verbal love, love letter to Yanni Gord. I would kill mm-hmm. to have him on my team. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kutrov, you know, when he's out there. Uh, the fourth line immediately has a very fourth line feel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way they just bang and crash and everything. But there's something about when Stamkos is on the ice. It's just, oh, there he is. Yep. Do you but want the even strength? points numbers? are wild. <laughs> yeah, I do. I actually do because I don't. So, I, I intentionally did not do any research on this. So I have uh, Steven Stamkos even strength this playoffs. He has 22 games, uh, three goals, three assists. 26 shots that compares what? to on the power play five goals seven assists that's 12.17 shots a little different that's so an interesting six versus 12 he doubles the amount of points he has uh on the power and, play as opposed to and i'm not saying he's not an effective player or a useful player in fact i would love a guy who could score that much on the power play on the toronto maple Leafs. yeah Imagine. i know wouldn't you Couldn't wouldn't you, you? Wouldn't that be great? But then you look at the majority of the game is played five on five, but he scores. But the majority of the game is played five on five. 
But my my question is not whether Stevenson Stamkos has been a useful or valuable part of this Tampa Bay Lightning team. It's not that. Mm-hmm. People will take it as that, but that's not it. We know that the Lightning are about three. There are three good periods away from making a trade within 48 hours of winning the cup. We know that, right? We know oh, that yeah. win the oh, cup, yeah. announce the Tyler Johnson trade. But Tyler Johnson's not going to be enough. They are going to have to shed more salary. You can find really good assets and a lot of takers for a guy like Steven Stamkos. He's the captain. He's Mr. Tampa Bay. I get all that. But this team, its core is Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, Andre Vasilevsky, and Victor Hedman, and probably Sergeyev moving his way into that. Beyond those five guys, you have to look at potentially moving everybody else. So here's what's very interesting about that, Adam. That's a very fair point. It, it is a very fair yeah. point. Um, oh, I'm going to get lit the fuck up for it, though. Get ready. <laughs> I it's No, it's an interesting conversation starter. Um, so let's let's look at their forwards. Let's look at everyone who makes above league men. Uh, Patrick Maroon. Oh, we'll just deal Patrick Maroon. Oh, wait. He's got a modified no trade clause, and also he only makes $900,000. Okay. Uh, Alex Kalorn. Oh, wait a sec. Sorry, he's got a modified no trade clause. Okay, we're going to deal Anthony Sorelli. Well, no, that's that's silly. Why would we do that? He's 23. That's Sorelli. Silly Relly. Silly Relly. So we're going to trade Tyler Johnson. Oh, God, he's got a modified no trade clause. Jeez, okay. Well, then I guess we're going to have to trade Yanni Gord. Oh, crying out loud, he's got a no trade clause. Okay. Well, then we're going to have to trade Andre Pallott. Oh, I missed his modified no trade clause. I'm, I'm sorry. Braden points. This is where we pause for laughter. Then Steven Stamkos. Oh my God. He's got a full no move. Well, surely we don't have to trade Nikita Kucherov. Oh, well we couldn't anyway. He's got a full no move. Well, okay. 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 Jeez. Let's, let's look to defense. Victor Hedman. I, Oh God, I really don't want to trade him, but Oh, well, good, good news is I don't have to. He's got a full no, uh, no move clause. What's he? Okay. Okay. We already got Victor Hedman on the left. We're going to have to make a sacrifice. Ryan McDonough. Oh God. Sorry, he's got a full no-trade class as well. Holy shit. They have an unbelievable amount of these. And also on there, and I think everyone would agree deserving, is Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, full no-move. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Either no-moves, no-trades, or modified no-trades. The uh, the Kalorn one and the Tyler Johnson one are thankfully only sixteen team lists, so you have half the oh. league to trade them to. Thankfully, uh, well, yeah. I think Tyler Johnson's it must have changed again, Jesse, because I thought there was an eight or nine team list this year, and I guess it expands this year. You would be correct. It did okay. it did change halfway oh. through his contract and a couple weeks ago. So from July first, huh. twenty eighteen, until June fifteenth, twenty twenty one. It was a full no trade clause. And then on June 15th of this year, it kicked into a 20 team no trade list until so, the end of the contract. That's pretty cool. So you here's, got 11, 12 teams. Here's my prediction. If Tampa Bay wins the Stanley Cup tonight, there will be at least one player on the Lightning who's not actually on the Lightning anymore. They're already dealt. Yeah, uh, yeah they've made the trade. They've made, they've the, made trade. the trade. They just haven't filed the paperwork. It's done. And if this season isn't the offseason for Stamkos to get moved, and you can understand why, you could think that it might be next. Like, is Steven Stamkos a lightning player in the next 18 months? I have serious question marks. It's, man. What's your captain? Get, getting old sucks. Yeah, but Victor Hedman could be your captain. 
It's true. It's I mean, Steve Eiserman was the Detroit captain, and then, oh, man, they only had to pass it to Nicholas Lidstrom. <laughs> Bomber, dude. Uh, yeah, man, that's uh... – it's a wild thing to think about, but it's probably not even the most wild trade proposal we've talked about on this episode. So, Yeah, if Duncan Keith can get traded – like, that should be the new, well, Wayne Gretzky got traded. It should be Duncan Keith got traded. It's it's the other way. Wow. That's, that's fucking crazy in the cap world. Really? You really do need a law degree to break down trades these days. You do. I hate it. You do. Um, I do want to mention, too, in watching the Tampa Bay Lightning, and this is full credit to them and their coaching staff, and I'm, I'm going to say this again and again and again until the Leafs get it. When you have weapons from the point... They have a system set up, and you see, you can see the play, the Victor Hedman slap shot on the power play. You've seen it. A couple of times, it's led to a goal. And all he does is keep it low, and it's like a laser beam. Someone tips it. It goes through Carey Price's glove. Except Sometimes it hits him in the chest or whatever. But every single time, within three seconds of that faceoff, they win the faceoff, winger gets it, throws it back to Hedman, uncovered, shot at the net, and it goes through. It usually hits Price. Usually. When... Can we expect that in Toronto? When can we expect to have a defenseman? Listen, this is a nice thing to actually ask about because in Toronto for the longest time, what we were asking for was defenseman. Just any guy who could, could shut down a play. No, can we, we get now? Yeah, since we're moving up in the world, can we get now a guy who can play defense, play a little bit of offense, shoot from the point of the power play? Can we do that? You move Morgan Riley to get the next guy. He's more, I, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense, right? But here's the problem with Toronto. We know this management group is very smart, but they are kind of dumb about the guys they love. Like we saw, we, we, you saw and I saw Morgan Riley with Cody Cece for mm-hmm. an entire season. Mm-hmm. And they defended that. Cody Cece went on to have a great year in Pittsburgh because they put him in a role that works for Cody Cece. So there was this, an interesting debate. Wanted to call itself a Stanley Cup contender with Cody Cece and Morgan Riley as their top defensive pair. That's what the Leafs tried to sell you on. And they sold me down the river on it. I'm mad. I'm mad, okay? They tried to sell you on that. Don't let them do that again. Big move on defense this offseason, please. Also, follow their actions and not what they say. Right. Yes, of course. Their actions, the whole uh, COVID bubble year, whatever you want to call it, was we it, it was Bradley Cooper on the phone in the hangover going guys we effed up yep it was they lost the they lost to David Ayers who saved the Leafs literally the savior of the Leafs losing that game because the next day trade deadline awful quiet awful quiet they don't do anything it allowed them to get Bogosian the next year because surely he would have joined the team that year which was the plan and been like, oh, these guys are terrible. Now he might, you know, he was good. He might actually come back. They brought in a high school student to try to motivate the team in the bubble. <laughs> like, it was it was all very bad. If, if we are moving on here, because I will relate this back. Okay. Paul McFarland is now joining the Seattle Kraken's coaching staff. He's joining Dave Haxtell. So Haxtell used to be uh, uh, an assistant coach for the Leafs. I... I think they were assistants together they were under babcock and keith okay so mcfarland mcfarland did the power play mm-hmm. haxtell did the penalty kill so they worked very close together 
McFarlane, we were excited about in Leafland because he came from Florida and they had a top five power play. They were assassins. They were great. He comes in, they start hot and then fall into the toilet. And then this year, Paul McFarlane. Can I just throw this out there? He left before the end of last season. He did. It was very odd. He, or I don't know if he was in the bubble, but he committed to leave whenever the season was done. It was very confusing. Anyway, Manny Malhotra joins and oh, Paul McFarland, you look like a bum because look how good our power play is. And then it falls in the toilet again. And at what point is it not the coach? Oh, it's clearly not the coach. At what Very point? Clearly it, not the coach. Is it not the coaching? And, and you know, the, o- the only pushback I got about that was why can't it be both? Well, surely it could be. Surely it could be. But this is now, I believe, the third guy to Three run years. the power play. Uh, Randy Hiller, Hillier, mm-hmm. Hiller, uh, Paul McFarland, and now Manny Malhotra. And there could be a different guy next year. Mm-hmm. Freaking score for the love of God. And like the, the no slap shots thing. Like, do we all think Morgan, Morgan Riley can't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure he can. Do we all think TJ Brody can't? I'm pretty sure he can. Do we all think Jake Muzzin? Uh, well, we saw him. We know we, he can. We know he can. Sandine. I'm pretty can. sure he can. I'm pretty sure NHL players know how to take a slap shot. It's, but I have a hard time. It's, it's very confusing because different players, different personnel, different coaches, same result. But it almost seems like a team mandate. We don't take slap shots on the power play. Mm-hmm. We don't take point slap shots on the power play. I should say. Well, except for Tyson Berry. He, no, Adam, those were muffins. Learn the difference, please. <laughs> Those were he took he would do the full NHL 99 wind up to the like behind his head and then it's off a knee four feet wide. <laughs> it was brutal. It was fucking brutal. You guys know that. You, you remember feet. that. That was close, said Cody. Yeah. <laughs> I still you know, thank God the Leafs won that game against the Blue Jackets after that shit. Remember Cody CC shot wide and scored? <laughs> it's honest. It's the worst shot. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> Woo. God, it's good to be a Leaf fan. Oh, my God. Honestly, that Drag shot me. in overtime game four against the Blue Jackets, I think might be the worst shot I've ever seen in an NHL game. The only thing that comes close is Craig Smith with an empty net against the Leafs when he was still with the Preds. Uh, he the puck was like in the blue paint, and they and he shot it on the backhand. The goal goal light goal horn goes off and everything, but he actually scooped it straight up and into the stands. <laughs> it's it's maybe the most unforgivable miss in NHL history, but um, that CC shot do, was up Can there. you do a classic dang it that includes that one? That one and Patrick Steffen missing the uh, open net with Dallas and then Edmonton I really scored. Should. I yeah, think, like classic dang it's, man. I think we did Steffen. Okay. I'd have to look it up. Did you do Merrick Malik doing the penalty shot? Because, wow, it's big, fat, big, tall defenseman can't score. It's crazy. The Every hand up to the arena. Play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For the uh, rest of time. We did. Uh, the, our most viewed one is uh, leaving Patrick Waugh in for nine goals against Detroit. It's it's still a – that story today, can you imagine? 
Oh, like, like what Price. a delicious, that whole podcast, we could do a whole episode on that. Carey Price, the, the Habs letting, letting him uh, stay in net for nine goals and then just calmly walking to Dom Ducharme. Or no, Jeff Molson walking past Dom Ducharme to Jeff Molson behind the bench. I am no longer on the Habs. And just sitting down. That happened. That happened in real life. The best goalie in the world, arguably. <laughs> Literally quit on the bench because there was no glass. <laughs> and, and, and like 18 months previous to that, had won a cup with the team. Like, it wasn't that long before. It was like mid-90, what is that, 94, 95 that happened? And they got traded for Jose Theodore when the Avs took over? Like, I mean, like, it wasn't long. They were going nowhere fast and had just signed a radio host to be their head coach. Um, and he, they oh did. yeah, Mario Tremblay had played with Waugh when Waugh was a younger man. They were teammates. He had an NHL pedigree. He didn't really have any coaching experience. He was like on the radio or something. And so the Habs brought him in and he decided to- what? Oh, yeah. This and is like just, the Leafs being like, hey, Jeff O'Neill is our new head coach. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know what? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> it, it was pretty Leaf, entertaining. But like, <laughs> I would like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, ex leave radio host, bring him in. Why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> so, no, Jay's did and, that, too. And he stared, he left Wah in for nine and stared him down. And so, and Wah goes, and Wah. Like, why? It's, why it's, did he stare him down? It's the. It's the number one, two, and three fuck around and find out moment in NHL history. Yeah. And Patrick Waugh. Do, do we know wa- why though? What was the what was the was there a, a rivalry brewing there between coach and player? What, I'm like, sure what was it's the, been written about a hundred times, you know? Yeah. Like, I can't I remember, but we just don't know. Does Mario Trombley is he allowed to show his face in Montreal ever? I think he's still on the radio. Huh? I guess so. That's uh Talk about a, a plan B situation. Is <laughs> uh, plan A is head coach. Oh, mm-hmm. make one of the worst coaching mistakes in NHL history. All right, radio it is. And history repeats itself. Patrick Waugh wins the Jack Adams, becomes one of the worst coaches in NHL history after that, and <laughs> never coaches again. And he it's, just said, "It's not for me. It's not. It's not for me. I just won the top award. That was it." Um, the Jays Imagine. did that with um, Buck Martinez too. He was like a. I mean, he was a player. But I don't believe he had managed much. And then they made him the manager. And like, I think after Cito Gaston was fired in the late 90s, early 2000s, he managed well. We just didn't have any yeah, players. Buck did a decent job. Yeah, I thought he did. Yeah. Thought, so it can work. He knows the game. But I think it's a little different with baseball. Um, anyway, long story short, Mario Tremblay. So uh, here's this is just straight from the Wikipedia page. Uh, right. Tremblay regularly mocked uh, Waugh's English-speaking abilities. Uh, Waugh was a frequent... Uh, target of Tremblay during the latter sports radio career. The two had almost come to blows in two incidents in 1995, one at a Long Island coffee shop before Tremblay was announced as a coach and after Tremblay allegedly fired a shot at Waugh's throat during practice. Why did they hire him? And then then after that uh, is the December 22nd incident in 1995 where (laughs) He allowed the nine goals. Why did they hire him? Who the fuck was running the team? Oh my god! What a clown show! The arrogance of that—that's outrageous. It's it's so bad. It's so bad. I've I covered that trade at length because 
I had to break it down. It was like a dang it slash trade tree that I did breaking down that incident and the trade that came of it. And then uh, the reason I haven't done that trade individually as a trade tree is because it's actually part of the Eric Lindros trade tree. Oh, okay. The, the players the avalanche got as a result of the Lindros trade in the early nineties are, are, are staggering. Yes. Yeah. They got Peter Forsberg as a result. They got Claude Lemieux. Adam Deadmarsh, Claude Lemieux, uh, I think Alex Tongay, Rob Blake, Theron Fleury, who didn't win a cup with them, but was a monster with them in the very short amount of time that he was with them. Um, it directly uh, ties to the Matt Sundin to the Leafs trade. <laughs> it's, wow. oh, it's it's huge. There's a reason that video is over 40 minutes long. If there, I think there has to be, by the way, this is revisionist history, but we should do revisionist NHL history every once in a while. There's an argument to be made that the Colorado Avalanche still win the cup in 1996 if two things don't happen. They don't trade Mats and they don't trade Eric. So if, if Lindros had agreed to play because he didn't like the owner and the owner turned out to be not a great guy of the Nordiques, and if they don't trade Mats, tell me what team with Matt Sundin and Eric Lindros in their young prime is, is able, like who's going to stop that? And Josh Lyon Tebow. And, and you know who else was there is Joe Sackick. Oh my God. Jocelyn Tebow was a good goalie, but like he was never, never Patrick. Wong. I think the meanest thing about that trade is they included a goalie. Yeah. Now you're the guy who follows up Patrick Waugh forever forever. He was tied to that forever. And if you actually go and look at his NHL career, he wasn't really bad, but he was always the guy who was traded for Patrick Waugh. It's so shitty. It's such a shitty situation. Yeah. Yep. The GM at the time, too, had only been doing the job for 40 days and faced a lot of criticism for uh, making the trade instead of trying to resolve the tension between Waugh and Trump left. Fire the coach. Yeah. Fire the coach. Yeah. And you know what? Not enough is made, too. We don't talk about this because a lot is made of that Canadians 93 run. And a, and a lot should be made of that. The last cup in Canada, if that means anything to you really doesn't that doesn't bother me or interest me very much i don't know if it makes me a bad canadian i just don't care it's irrelevant okay so it's just a made-up thing right for cities not countries that thank you i appreciate that it's canada with its small man syndrome coming out again um what was the thing that gene simmons said about canada it's like so someone's like what do you think about canada he's like i think it's great but can you stop asking like can you just feel confident in what you are like it's weird it's weird We'll take that. We'll put that in the small pile of correct Gene Simmons takes. Yes. But he, yes. He was right. <laughs> he was right. He was right there. A lot of bad calls after. Um, yeah. I, I, I think I think not enough is made about the, I don't know. I don't want to call it the, the dissemination of talent. The, la, the loss of talent after the 93 run that Montreal went through. I mean, two of those guys became major players on the Flyers that went to the Cup like three, four years later, Desjardins and uh, Leclerc. Leclerc. And you had Chris Chelios. And you had um, uh, God, you, you had Vinny Danfus. And you had, like, they had all these incredible players. Kirk Muller? I think Kirk Muller was a Leaf at that point, maybe? Or did he come? Uh, no, he became a Leaf later. Kirk Muller. I don't remember. Yeah. He, won, he definitely won the Cup there. Um, there that, would, that team is, there's got to be eight or nine Hall of Famers on it. It was quite and, good. And should have, if you look at the team, like, like I'll look at the 1993 Ross, 1993 That's, uh, Stanley Cup. 
Sailing. Strombo in his uh, tenure at Sportsnet, there was one one thing we talked about. He's like, are you one of those Leaf fans who thinks if it wasn't for the Gretzky high stick, the Leafs would have won the cup in 93? And I went, oh, no. He's like, good, because they wouldn't have. No, they wouldn't have. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that guy's Habs fan through and through. And, like, it's true. It's okay. true. Like, as as feel good as that team was, they were not beating Patrick Waugh's Montreal Canadiens in 1993. So you've got Danfus, Muller, Brian Bellows, uh, Stefan LeBeau, who people forget about, but had 80 points in 71 games that year. Mike Keane, Denny Savard, right. uh, Gil- Gilbert Dion. I don't remember Gilbert, but he played pretty well. Uh, Eric Desjardins, Matthew Schneider, John LeClaire, Patrice Brisois, um, JJ Dandino, Gary Lehman, uh, Kevin Holler, and then like Guy Carboneau, who I believe is in the Lyle Odeline, future uh, Columbus Blue Jackets captain, Blue Jackets captain, Todd Ewan, Brian Scrudlin, who was a you know a good sort of depth I player. I remember Brian Scrudlin. Um, Rob Ramage played three games for them, um, and then you had Pat Patrick Waugh and Andre. Ricot, Rossia? I don't even know. Who cares who the uh, backup goalie was? But yeah, like you've got, you've got Rossio, Rossio. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Patrick Wah. Yeah, you've got some pretty good players there. That was a damn good team. Really, really good team. And it's funny that uh, that we sort of sit there and think uh, trade. Key, you know, there's a trade key here. Um, that that we don't talk enough about the amount of players they lost. It's more mm-hmm. than Patrick Wah. You know, I don't know how you lose. Um, John, I think they lost John LeClaire maybe to free agency because the, the dollar was bad. Um, but you, you lost some really, really good talent after that series was over. And, and I don't think we've talked enough about that. That should have been, that should have been a multi-year run for that. He was so good too. Like you, you go and look at his hockey DB, you see his numbers not do so hot in Montreal for like a little bit. He really wasn't actually that spectacular for Colorado, um, in the regular season that year was a god in the playoffs and basically gave them great goaltending for the rest of his career. Here's the rest of his career after that season. 923, 916, 917, 914, 913, 925, 920. <laughs> uh, and that was the second half of his career. He was good. Patrick Wild, man. Anyway, I, this is not a rabbit hole I expected us to go down today. No, no. Um, okay, so let's keep moving here then we've got uh okay so this is an interesting one if you're if you're eric lindros and it's 1991 i am moving us on here by the way if you're eric lindros it's 1991 you're the can't miss guy of the draft and you know the team you're going to is a mess and you hate the owner and i'm not saying that in this particular case this is exactly how things are going team's a mess don't like the owner don't like the direction of the team what do you do well, you do as Eric Lindros does, and you don't put on the jersey, and you refuse to play for the team and force them to trade you. Now, that was back then when you could come into the NHL and make like 5 or $6 million right off the bat. You know, there were rookie salaries that were higher than guys that had been there for six or seven years. There was no restrictions. You're Owen Power. This draft is a crapshoot, which everybody knows... Our, people are looking at it like, man, we're not really sure. We're just going to guess. But we know you're good. So I would argue that that makes, if I'm Owen Power, my values just skyrocketed because I'm the most sure thing of a thing, which is the draft, which is not a sure thing ever. But I'm the most sure thing of this draft. So I'm 
I, arguably a more valuable first round pick than most years because most years people will be like, well, I feel like we could get a guy with comparable talent at 15. This year, we just don't know. And I know there are rankings and that sort of thing, but to say that we're on the same level as we were two years ago is a lie. We're not. We don't know. We just don't know as much. And Owen Power has said he is staying at Michigan, where he currently plays, for at least the next two years. Do you want me to read the quote? Please do. It doesn't say he's staying. I want everyone to pay very close attention to the wording. Okay. So uh, when asked about it, he says, I wouldn't say I'm committed to going back to school. I mean, I'm probably leading towards it right now. I think it would be pretty special just actually going to class and not doing it online. Just being able to do stuff other than go to the rink and home, I think would be something that I would like to do. And if you remember uh, this pandemic that we're in, Owen Power never got to experience his first year of university. Mm. He went to school at the University of Michigan and he literally just played hockey and did all the classes online. So... That's his reasoning for that. What do you guys take away from that? Don't take me first. <laughs> it's Owen, Owen Power does not want to go to the Buffalo Sabres. It's open ended, right? So this is why this is why the distinction of he doesn't actually say it is important here. Jesse, can you just read the first little bit one more time? I wouldn't say I'm committed to going back to school. I mean, I'm probably leaning towards it right now. Because you're gonna go number one, kid. He doesn't want to go to the Buffalo Sabres. Now, Owen Power, hold on, Steve. I just want to put this into context. He would rather study and do homework than make a million dollars. Okay. He's not doing He would rather any, study and do he's homework. He's not doing any studying or homework. Than make a million dollars for three years. <laughs> then go to Buffalo. And you know who can't blame him? Anyone. Anyone. Well, I... It, it's Buffalo? basically, I don't know if I'm ready to play first line in the show yet. Because, <laughs> like, bro. You know, what if, you know what I do if I'm Kevin Adams? I trade that pick for something valuable that someone is actually going to come play for me. Because even if they draft him, and even if he decides to sign, let's say he signs, we have a player who doesn't want to be here, which goes along with our entire team of players who don't want to be here, which include a previous first overall pick. Second overall pick, excuse me. What does Buffalo need more than players who actually want to be there? Players. Like, that's a tough one. The, the other, here's, here's the thing. Here's the distinction from 1991, though, in simply trading the pick. Or, sorry, simply picking him and then trading him. Mm-hmm. The guy who went number two was Pat Falloon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, good, good. Uh, Pat Falloon like- was good. It's he not was a Eric 50 point player. 50, 60 point player. It's not Eric Lindros. No. It's tough. You look at this draft because three was Scott Niedemeyer. Oh, that would, could have been the Leafs. Scott Lachance, Aaron Ward, Peter Forsberg. Um, it's, yeah, there are some very, very, very good players. Later in that round, 15th overall was Alex Kovalev. Next pick was Marcus Nasland. Holy shit. This is pretty good. Uh, this year, because it's such a crapshoot, I think what Owen Power is hoping for, or at very least his counsel, I think what they're hoping for is the Sabres simply pass. And they'll take someone else first overall. If this happens in the OHL all the time. Yeah. Where if, a guy goes first overall and, and we make a big deal of it, but they really were like the sixth or seventh ranked player because the team that has the first overall pick, all their players, 
or all the players ahead of them use their leverage to be like, do not pick me. I don't want to come. Yeah. Or a guy goes, what is it? 22nd overall, 23rd overall. And you're like, how did that happen? And it's always London. Weird, weird? right? It's so strange. How does, how do they manage that? They must, you know what? It's crazy. I don't know. There's, I don't get it. Uh, There's a great few scouting. teams who always scouting. get lucky in that uh, regard. It's, it's weird. They're, you know what? They're ahead of, ahead of amateur scouting. Yeah. I guess that would be amateur amateur scouting. You, you yeah. can't put a price on hockey minds. There's no, no analytic true. for hockey minds. True. No one would ever say that they're all talking to each other and it's a little bit rigged. Mm. But no. anyways. Oh, that's uh, ridiculous. How dare you? <laughs> the the Sabres could get away with it too, just by being like, hey, we already uh, drafted um, Darlene. We don't need another number one overall defenseman. Yeah, fuck that. It means know? talent. Let's, Am I right? Let's, let's take a, a forward instead of Owen Bauer. Let's take uh, Mason McTavish or whoever is projected to go second. Or uh, Kent Johnson, I think, is the other See, guy. Here's, center. here's the thing. You Owen know? Bauer, Jesse, doesn't want to get Rasmus Ristolainen or Rasmus Dellin. He doesn't want – he wants to be a great player. I think Rasmus Dellin is actually going to be a great player for someone else one day. <laughs> he is very good. You know, Owen Power last year, well, he played at U of Michigan this year, but the year before he played for the Chicago Steel of the USHL, which is essentially the uh, USHL farm team of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So he's going to go to the Leafs. I don't know if you know this or not. Owen Power, future Leaf, called it. Save this clip. Uh, it's, I, it's a very interesting strategy from the kid. Mm-hmm. Kevin Adams has such a hard job. He has such a hard job. And you know what's crazy? This is not even close to his top priority. But they did make a couple hires over the weekend, which was good. Elliot Friedman tweeted about, they hired, a, I forget what they hired, but they, Elliot Friedman tweeted about, it. it was like, interesting developments out of Buffalo. And then they mentioned, mentioned the two people they hired. And then Elliot wrote, or then somebody replied, why is this interesting? And I thought maybe it's interesting because they hired someone. Usually when you hear about Buffalo, they're firing people. So... Yeah, they just need players for God's sake. Um, or sorry, the people working for them yeah. for God's sake. But uh, these are actually, these are very good hires. I'm not going to lie, I don't know a ton about Jason Nightingale, who is uh, now the assistant director of amateur scouting. Hey, scouting, that's pretty neat. High five. Um, but interesting hire by Buffalo, Sam Ventura from mm-hmm. Pittsburgh mm-hmm. as its VP of hockey strategy and research. So this is them uh, dipping uh, deeper into analytics. Sam Ventura has a Stanley cup ring um, with the, with at least one Stanley cup ring. You might have two uh, with the Pittsburgh penguins. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know enough about Jason Nightingale, but they have two new people working for them. Isn't that neat? Isn't that great? That's a great start. That's good news for Sabres fans. How often do we say that on this show? Good news. And, good uh, it, I think the analytics community made a big deal of Sam Ventura because um, he he headed up the Pittsburgh department. And then when they reshuffled everything, he was kind of a free agent now and Buffalo jumped on him. And they also hired um, Jason Carmanos earlier, who was also from the Pittsburgh organization. So they, they've been building some solid the front office hires, which is nice to see. Is Jason Carmanos the same guy, the same Carmanos family that used to own the Hurricanes? I believe this is one of the kids who sued their dad. No. <laughs> There's no way. No way, really? 
Didn't we talk about this on the show? We did, but I'm not sure if it was Was it the kids or the grandkids? Is it the same person? I don't know. It is the same family. We should maybe make sure of that. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe don't throw that out there. His his dad is Peter Carmanos. Okay. Yeah. So some of the kids, what we understand, sued Peter Carmanos. I don't know know. if if Jason was involved in the loss. I don't. You're right. I don't know either. Peter Carmanos sued by his adult sons. This is from J.C. Rendell, Detroit Free Press. Uh, the lawsuit, this is just an excerpt, third paragraph. The lawsuit was filed last week by the stock partnership against uh, Carmano 73 in Oakland County Circuit Court. The three sons in the partnership are Peter Carmanos III, Nick Carmanos, and Jason Carmanos, who are from uh, Carmanos's first marriage to Barbara and Carmanos. Okay. So th- that would be the same Carmanos. Unless he's got two sons named Jason. Jason and Jason the second Jr. <laughs> the third. Okay, so yeah, that's all right. Okay, well now we've got a few connect. siblings actually. Hey, is hockey insular? I don't know. <laughs> oh, hey. A little bit. <laughs> oh, I'm not man. listen. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but is hockey oh. a little insular? Uh, yeah, just I'm a not, little. I'm not criticizing the move. I'm just no. simply stating. No, the minority that, that owner, the minority owner of another team, and his son is in this organization. And he knows this guy. So weird. Like, Jesus. So it's weird. A thing. It sure is. It sure is a thing. Um, now, Very little club you can't get into. So I, I do want to quickly mention this. Um, Rory, Rory, Rory Boyland, uh, Sportsnet writer, put seven spots that Jack Eichel could end up in. Minnesota, LA, Columbus, Anaheim, New York Rangers, Vegas, and Philly. Doesn't have to be one of those picks. But gentlemen, I wanted to ask you. Jack Eichel and the Sabres closing in on getting that neck issue resolved, or at least coming together on a what's the treatment solution going to be? When he does get traded, who's your pick? One Tampa. team. What's Tampa. that? Tampa. Tampa. Okay. Tampa. For Tampa. Straight up. Let's go. No, no. no. Who's your actual pick? Uh, here. Give me the seven again. It doesn't have to be one of these seven. Yes, it does. Let's hear it. Okay. Yeah. Minnesota. Los Angeles. Columbus. Anaheim. The New York Rangers. Vegas, of course, and Philadelphia. I'm going to say L.A. You stole my pick. Oh, did I? (laughs) You you should both say why you think, though. That's interesting. I like that you both picked that. They've been making an ungodly amount of noise. They have. um, For a while now. And they keep popping up in everything. And I keep going, the Kings? Really? And they seem like a bad team that was never really ready to be bad. Right. right. They were good for so long and they're ready to make some noise again. And they've actually done a very good job of sort of stockpiling picks and prospects. Yep. They have some really young guys ready to get on their team. Some guys who are 24 and under 23 and under uh, Gabriel Velarde is 21. I'm just looking at their team. Captain Byfield sponsors this show. Alex Byfield. Michael Anderson, Tobias Bjornfoot. Um, they got a new young goalie in Cal Peterson. They got all kinds of guys. Their picks, they got their own first for the next three years. They don't have their second this year, but they do have the Blues. They have their own third. They have the Leafs third. Forgot about that. They don't have their own fourth, but they have the Flames fourth. They have their own fifth, their own sixth. The only uh, round they don't have a pick in is the seventh. Right? So mm-hmm. they have the assets to get this done. I keep looking at Columbus. And I think they should really try to move heaven and earth to finally get a, like a forever first line center there. 
but in absence uh, in absence of the necessary assets, I kind of think uh, the Kings make more sense. Jesse, the, the Rangers are interesting because no, that's the you name. Pick the, but you pick the Kings. Oh, I hundred percent pick the Kings okay. uh, as my first pick for every okay. single reason that Steve just stated. Perfect. So instead of regurgitating that, I'm going to say that the Rangers are interesting because of uh, they've been in this conversation for so long, and usually when something is that uh, is building under, you know, uh, that there's usually some truth to it. And I think they also have the assets, just like um, Steve said. And if you're willing to part with one of their uh, big goalies, they have two of them. They have Georgiev and they have Shostershkin. Shostershkin. And if you if you put one of those guys in the deal, it makes the deal a lot easier for Buffalo because you can say, "Hey, we got a goalie forever." He, they're one of them. They're both twenty five. They're young. the The contract's going to be super cheap, so it makes the Eichel deal a lot easier because you're getting in return for a star player, a star goaltender. So the Rangers are very interesting to me, but my pick would be probably the Kings out of that list. This this is a great conversation, I think, if you're a Sabres fan, because we're not we're actually talking about who has the assets to get this done, rather than who needs him. It's Jack Eichel. Who needs him? Everyone. What the? F- He's great. He's an amazing player. But the Kings have the assets to get this done, and so do the Rangers. I think, and I have said Rangers from the beginning. But I, the, the more we talk about the Sabres, I think Steve brings up a really good point, which refutes his, his LA Kings pick, which is they're going to go get a bunch of young players. You, we mentioned Turcotte, Byfield. Who else was there that you mentioned? There was, uh, I, I forget. Velarde and Florida, yeah. A lot of bunch of young players. What do the Sabres need? Players of any kind. Right. But players that can play regular minutes at the NHL level without being traumatized, right? Well, you see, because you bring in a young player too young without the proper support system. What happens? They don't do so good. But here's the thing. Jack Eichel makes $10 million. So the Kings are going to have to give up someone. Well, Kings or Rangers or whoever. This is why I'm going with Philadelphia. Are you saying Giroux? I'm not saying Giroux. I still want Giroux to be a senator. We learned our lesson. Um, I'm not saying Giroux. I am saying that if you are Buffalo, you're looking at a few names that might be very interesting to you that can fill out a roster. Travis Konechny is a name that comes up in trade trade talks all the time. Mm-hmm. Nolan Patrick is a first overall pick, I think. Second. Second, Second. overall pick. Yep. So is Jack Eichel, a little bit different. But you can at least make, you, make the argument, we got a high round pick back that matters to GMs and it matters to people, fans. The other guy I think would be interesting, and I think that's why you're going to get two roster players and a pick out of this. I think they're going to get a first-round pick, at least one. And I think if you got a Konechny Gostas bear, if you got a Patrick Konechny, Yeah, but Gostas bear is bad got, now. Right, <laughs> right. But he can play NHL minutes, and he's got a year left on his deal. And he's yeah. got to prove it. He's got $4.5 million to be paid this year if he doesn't prove it then then you then you can cut him loose and you know that they're, they're loath to spend money but he's a guy that can play in your top four if you're if you're a bad team if you're not a great nhl team shane goss is a fine option at three four what are and we gonna do what they on need, the show they need a little magic beans and they need a little scoring and a little 
at least can hang. Need everything. <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do on this show when the Sabres trade Eichel for a second, third, and a guy who was picked in the fourth round four years ago? And the Leafs would, the Leafs would be like, yeah, we didn't want him. We couldn't, we couldn't get it done, you know? Yeah, we weren't, really we didn't, we weren't in on it. You know, we didn't explore didn't that. Didn't even call. No. Okay. <laughs> We're going to go to Felino and uh, trade 18 first-round picks and do that deal instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm really never going to forgive them. <laughs> I don't blame you, Steve. I don't I blame say you. It every show, it's my love for them. I just every time you bring them up, it just clear. I, okay, and we nothing have, happens. We have mentioned them a couple times, guys. But I have, I have to say, the Leafs news this offseason has been suspiciously quiet. Yeah, it's been none. The only, the only thing we've heard is the Darren Dreger report that Freddie Anderson thinks he's worth five million plus. Yeah, and they re-signed Spezza, like Spezza, and Wayne Simmons. Simmons. Like that's that's been it. Three stories. Yeah. <laughs> it's quiet. Good. Leave me alone for a while. The Philly, Philly just looking at their cap friendly, they definitely have the money to fill up that ten million dollars. Like they have a lot of big contracts that they can just ship out. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, let's do the press conference. The presser. S-D-P. The Steve Dangle Press Conference. Adam, we teased this last episode. Did you prepare? I did. All right. This is from at Chaser Wing. Okay. They want you to do an Adam's history corner on this question. Would you rather be a Japanese soldier on Iwo Jima or a Russian soldier in Stalingrad. Pick one and explain your reasoning. So here's the thing. These are both two of the worst battlefields in history for both the winners and the losers. The Russian soldier in Stalingrad wins the battle ultimately. But we always ask, at what cost? The cost was pretty huge, pretty crazy. I think the battle went on for more than a year. Um... And Iwo Jima is a little different because it was all quiet, all quiet, all quiet, except for like a couple of weeks and it all hell broke loose. So we'll start with Stalingrad because it's more famous in Europe. Iwo Jima, obviously more famous in America. Uh, Stalingrad is a massive city that um, is like an industrial heartland city, which is why Joseph Stalin decided to named the city after him. I forget what it was called before and what it's called now, but there's a, uh, it's right on the Volga River. I I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. So he basically takes the city, renames it, right? Because they've got, uh, they've got a Leningrad and they've got a Stalingrad. And so, um, you know, it's, it's the city that's supposed to uh, be the ideal Soviet city, you know, a hard, you know, industrial, hardworking, everybody's on the same page, rah, 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 we're communists and everybody's the same except for like 100,000 people that aren't. They're way, 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 way above. It used to be Volgograd. Volgograd, right. So it's right on the river. And uh, when, when our Operation Barbarossa happens, one of the things that the Germans want to do, what the German generals want to do, is bypass certain city centers in Russia. Because you have to remember, Russia is so big. The expanses are so vast that oftentimes it really doesn't make sense to take a city. A lot of times it just makes sense to pass it by. Why? And this is something they developed in, in World War I as well with trench warfare. Why am I stopping the whole line to take out that one machine gun entrenchment when we can just keep going 
and we'll take out the next trench and then they're isolated and then we'll throw a couple grenades in and be over. And that's what they used to do. And it was actually the Germans in the spring 1918 offensive that, that did that. So on a bigger level, the German army commanders are saying, let's just bypass it. We'll, we'll cut it off. They won't be able to eat and they'll surrender, which is likely what would have happened. But Hitler looks at this from a political perspective and goes, okay, so we didn't get Moscow because I'm an idiot and turned our forces away when we were like 50 kilometers away from Moscow. They could have got Moscow. They didn't get Moscow. We need something that looks like a political victory because we know we can't beat Russia and their resources once they get going. They know that if they keep pushing into Russia, they're going to get eaten up. And so what they do is they say, if we get a political victory that crushes the Russian spirit and the government is overthrown, then we win, which is exactly what happened in World War I. So they go, why don't we? So Hitler goes, no, you're going to take Stalingrad. You're not going to pass it by. You're going to take it. And you're going to take it by force and you're going to destroy it. You're going to level every building in there and you're going to show Stalin and his people, they cannot stand up to us. And that's what they did. But then Stalin... Being Stalin said, uh, well, we're not going to give that up. That's my city. If that city falls, we're toast. So he throws everything he has at that city. And it becomes a, a hinge point. And you have to remember that when the Germans attacked, it was the summertime. And they were able to you know, drive across dry Russian fronts and whatever. The Russians were burning everything as they retreated. Uh, but the Germans were moving very, very quickly, especially with the tank corps. And they get to this city and they start to go and it goes and they, they start to, you know, get into the suburbs of the city. Cause you imagine, right? Like any city you approach, it's, it's, it's house to house through the suburbs. Imagine a city like Toronto, which stretches from, you know, really stretches from like Durham all the way down to Niagara. Like they, the city doesn't stop. So if you were to try to take a city like Toronto with technology like that at the time, you're literally going street to street to street. And this is a city of a million people. So it's about the size of Edmonton. It's huge. And it's, and as the winter sets in, it gets cold. And the thing is, and you could watch this. I think there's a, I think it's called enemy at the gates. There's a, yes. uh, is it any, yeah. With, with Jude law and he's a sniper during Stalingrad. And they say that that's a pretty good representation of how things were in terms of the equipment available. So there's a very famous scene at the beginning where they're, they're crossing the Volga river. There are shells going off everywhere. They hand you're, you're with a pair so it's me and Steve, they hand Steve a gun and they hand me the bullets. And they say, one of you is going to die. So pass the gun off when, when you die. You, and then the which other guy is going to hold Which one of you would die? I don't know. Both of us. Me. <laughs> both of us. <laughs> me. So then here's the, here's the super fun part. And I say super fun by not, by, and I mean not super fun. The Russians have a no step back policy, meaning that once you go that way, you're not allowed to take a single step backwards. And we're so serious about this because the Russian armies had been collapsing all over the front for a couple of months that the, um, the Russian political appointees to the army would sit behind a division as they were thrown at the front. And you remember, they're, 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 they're fighting men with machine guns and they've got World War I caliber rifles. And we're talking a rifle where you... You, you put it on your arm, you shoot, and then you have to reload. Some of them had cartridges. Some of them did not. So sometimes they're, uh, what do they call it? It's um, a barrel load, basically. So you open it up, you put the bullet in, you close it. 
And then occasionally, sometimes they're five round cartridges that you stick in the bottom. Either way, they're not great. And so these Russian divisions get annihilated. And when they start to run, they are machine gunned down by their own people who are waiting from them for them in the back. So they're waiting far enough back that the Germans can't get them, but just enough that when the Russian soldiers come back, they're being shot at by their own player, their own people. There was a um, General Zhukov is probably the best general in the entirety of World War II. He lost 83% of his soldiers. 83% of his soldiers. It's, a, it's an insane, we find out more and more every year about how the Russian army was run at this time because a lot of that was locked down for many, many years. And it's just like the numbers, the viciousness of the fighting and the fact that it's minus 40 and you're sitting in buildings that are crumbling and falling apart. There's snipers everywhere. And you have, you basically have to find your own food. Like they don't have supplies. They're not going to help you. You're supposed to sacrifice for the country, for, for communism, for the worldwide revolution that's about to happen, that they keep talking about. And so, so there's that. Then there's Iwo Jima, island in the South Pacific, not particularly important today. But at the time, if you take an island like Iwo Jima, you can bomb mainland Japan. It's very important. And they have these super bombers, these super fortresses that, are, that were never even used in Europe. That the America, They're so new and cutting edge at the time. No one's ever seen anything like them. And they are enormous planes. But enormous planes take a lot of fuel and you can't fit them all in an aircraft carrier. So if you can get a bunch of planes over to this particular island, you can basically bomb mainland Japan day in and day out. And you have to understand from the American perspective, they wanted to crush the Japanese spirit before they had to invade. Because had they not had the atomic bomb, they would have had to invade. And... A lot, of the, um, a lot of the Japanese cities were made of wood thatched houses and things like that. So what the Americans decided was we're going to drop incendiary bombs. And they did this in Germany too. And we're just going to light the city on fire. And, you know, in, in Germany, they could make the argument, hey, we're bombing industrial centers. I think Frankfurt was one that, was it Frankfurt that was leveled? There's one, there's one city that's very famous. They just literally leveled it overnight. It just stopped existing. Munich? Munich might have been part of it. One of them was saved and you actually can go now and see what Germany would have looked like pre-World War II because the buildings were all original because they just didn't bomb it or they didn't get to it or it wasn't important. In Japan, and, and Dan Carlin actually talks about this in his most recent string of episodes about, Jap about the Japanese empire, they have literally every person helping out with the war effort. So you've got families who have a little setup in their backyard. And this family's job is to make the screwdriver that helps build the plane. And they build it in their backyard. So there's not a concentrated industrial center. So what the Americans have to do is literally bomb the whole thing. And that means civilians. And that means it, it's not enough is talked about uh, in terms of, it's, it's never talked about in, in America, actually, but not enough is said about the... I mean, the unbridled cruelty on both sides in this particular case, but for, you know, for the firebombing of Japanese cities, it's, it's mind boggling. So they want to take Iwo Jima to firebomb Japanese cities at a higher rate than they're already doing it. And what they do is they send in, if I'm not mistaken here, lightly armored Marine Corps guys, there's the army and then there's the Marines. And there's a bit of a, a tussle there about who, you know, they, they've got a, a bit of an interest service rivalry going on. The Marines are meant for lightning attacks. You go on shore, you surprise people, 
you take some positions and then you turn it over to the army because of the land thing. So they send the, the, I believe they sent the Marines in and they were not prepared for what the Japanese had in store for them. The Japanese had spent years building a island to island defensive perimeter around Japan that, um, that had a lot of the things that you see in like Vietnam movies, tunnels and um, uh, booby traps and explosives and guns that come out of the ground and shoot and then go back down. And they're made of concrete. So they'll, they'll come up, they'll, they'll shoot, and then they'll come back down and you'll, ne- and you'll never see them again. And it's a, it's, so basically the American forces have to try to take this island. Now they've cut off all food so the Japanese can't have it. They don't have anything to eat. Um, the Japanese culture at the time was one where you never surrendered, just like the Russians, except that in Japan, um, they say that the Japanese army in World War II had the highest morale of any country ever. And morale just doesn't, doesn't just mean happiness. Morale means commitment to the cause. And it was, it was so rare to get a Japanese soldier actually surrender um, that they, the Americans, after a certain point, and the Australians as well in New Guinea, and the British in Burma, and, and uh, uh, they basically realized we're either going to have to kill each and every one of them or they're going to commit suicide. It's one or the other. And it was considered honorable in defeat to commit suicide. You know, our, our North American westernized version of suicide has religious connotations. For them, it was religion, politics, all of this mixed into one. And Japan is a very fascinating culture. So there's no way I can possibly explain too much of it right now. But their thing was, we're going to die here. So if you want this island, you will have to kill each and every one of us. And that's what they had to do. And we're talking like, imagine you go into a tunnel. I don't know. If, are you guys um, claustrophobic at all? Not really. Okay. So imagine you go into a tunnel and the only way you can get around in this tunnel is you, is you can crawl. It's the only thing you can do. Yeah. No, thank you. No. And then you know that an enemy on the other side, you want to go home. You know the war is over. You know Japan's defeated. At this point, Japan's done. We know it's just a matter of time. So you're not really going, eh, I'm going to push a hard 100% for this because my country's thing's on the line. No, your country's going to be fine. You know that. And you got to go headfirst into a tunnel that you've never seen before that's not lit, and you're going to go fight a guy hand-to-hand. Bro. <laughs> that's what they did, and it was – I think it was – I think the entirety of the battle at Iwo Jima was weeks Jima uh, battle. I mean, just the, I want to make sure that I got that right. The German yeah, so photo that I think you're thinking of, by the way, is the bombing of Dresden. Dre- bombing of Dresden. That's it. Frankfurt was the one that was saved. Dresden was the one that was leveled. Iwo Jima lasted about six weeks and it was boiling hot. We're talking about just rock on the surface. These are volcanic islands, black rock on the surface. And it, it basically, it would heat up to like 50 degrees. And then below the surface, you have the Japanese army covered by rocks so the shells won't hit them. And you have to take each of these tunnels out man to man. It's an unbelievably terrible circumstance for both the Japanese and the Americans. If I'm going to take anything, if we're talking about war and we're talking about um, uh, where you'd rather be, first off, no place, I I would never want to be involved in any conflict. And these two in particular are terrible. But I'll take, I'll take, the Japanese side here on this one, because frankly, if I'm going to go, I'd rather go quick. If you're in Stalingrad and it's That's cold. That's your reasoning? Yeah. If I'm going to go, 
Because you're not going to survive either, right? You're yes, not going right. to survive either battle. You're the options aren't quicker, great. You're no, the options the suck. Quicker certain death. I will take quicker certain death all day. And and it's funny because there's actually an argument to be made that the more horrible you make war, the faster it goes, which means it makes it more humanitarian. It's one of the odd sort of questions that could never be answered, things that, that historians grapple with all the time. But if I am a soldier and I'm a nobody and uh, and I and the island's cut off, I'll I'll take that because it's at least it's hot. It's very hot, but it's I'll take hot over cold any day. And I would rather go quickly. I would rather go quickly. I don't want it to be some slow, painful, traumatic, shitty way to go. And uh, and so, I mean, both are shitty. Um, I'm taking Iwo Jima. That's the reason why I hope I explained that properly. I mean, you weren't left with very good options. No, you weren't. You weren't. So how's it? How's this? We don't do that again. How about we don't go there again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, let's just not, as the world, let's just not go back there. It's a bad, bad time. Adam, right. we had a, a follow up question from Marcus Braun. Uh, have you been on your paddleboard this summer? I have not. That might be the most aggressive, like, shift we've ever had on the show. Steve. Ever. Have you taken your kayak out this summer? No. Where is your kayak currently? Yeah. You don't Far away. It. It's not my, yours. At least I pass mine every day and feel guilty about it. You East of Gananoque. Just stop thinking about it. <laughs> so it's better. What I'm doing is better. It is better. It's objectively better. All right, Tweetus, which one would you rather be? Steve's kayak or Adam's paddleboard? If you had to go to war with one uh, one water instrument, would it be Adam's paddleboard or Steve's kayak? Ooh. So, I mean, instinct Ooh. says kayak over paddleboard. Here's the problem. Mine's bright yellow. Mm. Mm. I See, if, if we're going head-to-head, Steve, the only reason I, I like the kayak for if the, if the battle goes beyond one hit. But... If I'm able to jump onto your kayak oh. and flip you, I win, oh. right? But it's got to be, I got to hit it in that first strike. If I don't hit it in that first strike, I'm basically toast. I hate this. I know. This is terrible. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we just wargamed a kayak versus a, <laughs> versus a paddleboard. That's great. <laughs> it's like that stupid show, Who Would Win? A Gorilla or a Komodo Dragon? I remember <laughs> that. <On> stilts. <laughs> Like, Discovery Channel ran like 800 of those within a week, just milking that concept. And it yeah. led to so many poorly edited YouTube thumbnails. And there used to be, a, um, oh, there was a show called like Predator Top 10. And it would just be like the top Horrible 10 name. Predators with the, yeah, really. Uh, top 10 Predators with the deadliest bites. And then it would just, it was <laughs> an hour long and they'd have a segment on each of the 10. And it was pew, pew. I think I'm done here. Yeah. Anyway. I watched, um, <laughs> I recently watched that dude who intentionally got himself stung by the world's most painful stings. Oh, yeah. And he worked his way, he knew what the most painful was, and he worked his way up to it. And by the time, like, I, before I even got to the worst one, his reactions were all virtually the same. <laughs> Like, basically, this sucks. And I'm just watching it with, sir, you don't need to be doing this. Someone should buy him an Xbox. Like, go <laughs> go play GTA or something. Like, stop. Just don't do that. 
Never heard of, don't. Never heard of Netflix? Mm. Like they got some shows never, on there. Never heard of it. Like, Let's watch that. Sit right down. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for us today. We will be back on Friday. Because it's believe it or not, it's been a week since I didn't know what day it was. Ants Ben. There he is. So we will see you on Friday. We love you and we will talk to you soon. Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve underscore Dangle at Adam W Y L D E and at Jesse Blake. Connection complete.